What's up, guys? I am your host, Kayla Taylor, and you are listening to Season 2, Episode 6 of the Listen to Me Speak podcast. I want to thank you guys, as I always do in the beginning of every episode, for listening to last week's episode. Those of you who listened, shared um, the episode on your social medias and just told your friends about the podcast i really really appreciate the love as always and i'm just gonna get right into the episode i'm not gonna waste any time so i wanted to start off with justin timberlake's apology to both janet jackson and britney spears now i've talked about the whole justin timberlake Janet Jackson situation in the past, both on my radio show and a little bit on my podcast, especially last week. And I'm not going to say I'm overly surprised that he apologized. I think that the Framing Britney Spears documentary has been catching a lot of um, steam and a lot of people are paying attention. Now, the whole free Britney Spears movement is not new. If you've been on Twitter um, if you've been if you've been a part of Stan culture or if you've just participated in it a little bit, you know that the Free Britney movement has been a thing since forever of her fans really championing on Britney Spears gaining her freedom back. So but this is the first this is a little this time it's a little different. It seems like a lot more people are paying attention to this documentary. I think it also helps that it's now on Hulu as well. And a part of that documentary, I still have not seen it yet. I do plan on watching it. Um, There was this part of the documentary where they talked about Justin Timberlake and that relationship and kind of how he used Britney Spears for his own success by kind of painting her as this cheating villain in his music videos and just in his music in general because, you know, Justin Timberlake was a big pop star, but Britney Spears, you could argue, was an even bigger one, and so he kind of used that relationship and breakup to kind of sell albums. Even years after they broke up, he was kind of still writing music about her, and so they really talked about how Justin Timberlake played a part in her downfall and really ruining her image. Now, after watching this documentary, even people that aren't Britney Spears fans, just people who watched the documentary had a lot to say about it and a lot of negative things to say about Justin Timberlake. All things I pretty much agree with. So he's been catching a lot of flack on social media after the documentary. So it's not a shock that he went on his Instagram and did his typical celebrity notes apology that they all do and apologized to both Britney Spears and Janet Jackson since he had a huge hand in kind of ruining both of their images. I personally feel like the apology is 20 years too late. I feel like the time to for him to speak up should have been, uh, for each of them, Specifically for Janet Jackson first, the time to speak up should have been in 2004 after the Super Bowl performance. Janet caught a lot of heat, a lot of flack, a lot of nasty things were written and said about her in regards to that performance. And it took two to tango. Uh, Justin Timberlake was the one who, I don't know what kind of outfit you want to call it, he is the one that ripped it off. And all of the heat went on Janet and Justin Timberlake was kind of able to still have his career and apologize. He apologized for the performance and was still able to go to the Grammys that year. Meanwhile, I believe Janet was encouraged to not go. His career thrived actually after the Super Bowl performance and Janet plummeted. She was blackballed and banned from radio and they weren't playing her music videos. That Demita Joe album failed because of her being blackballed and Justin Timberlake that was the moment for him 
to have really stood by her side because he, he really hung her out to dry. He left her on her own, didn't speak up for her, didn't stick up for her, didn't really take any responsibility or have any accountability in his part in the performance and it going wrong. So to me, and with Britney, I feel like the media was already kind of bullying Britney. She's just one of those celebrities like Michael, like Janet, like Beyonce, where when you're a big star like that, the media is just going to attack you because you're the biggest thing in the world and they and they try several ways to tear you down. I feel like Justin Timberlake did not help by painting those narratives about Britney Spears and if he really cared about her the way he claims he does in his apology, he really kind of would have stopped writing those songs or creating those music videos based on their relationship. Now there's nothing wrong with writing songs about personal relationships at all. That's part of what makes an artist an artist. They're writing about their real life. That's what makes the music and the art better when you're talking about real life stuff. And that's and and I still stand by that point, but at the same time, and I'm talking about John to Austin who this was a reach where he compared Crimea River to Beyonce's Lemonade album. This is the difference. Lemonade was more than just talking about Jay-Z's infidelity in that marriage. I know a lot of people a lot of people boiled down Lemonade to a revenge album. And that's how I know a lot of you guys didn't really listen to the album or you didn't listen deeply enough or you didn't listen to the album enough times to know that Lemonade wasn't just about that. It was about embracing your blackness, trying to overcome racism, and as cliche as it sounds, really turning your lemons into lemonade, turning your strife, overcoming your strife and finding the beauty in coming out on the other side. I don't know if I, in my head I said I have like these really deep thoughts about lemonade. I hope I was able, I'm just freeballing here. I'm hoping I'm trying to to get across what I feel about the album but the album was about more than just Jay-Z and his infidelity into into boil lemonade down into just an album about that really does cheapen it so to me Crimea River is not on the same it's not on the same wavelength as lemonade the only similarities they have is yes they both address personal relationships but Cry Me a River was just simply a breakup record. And Cry Me a River is a good song. I'm not even saying all of this to say that you should cancel Justin Timberlake. Now, if you decide you no longer want to support him after this, I'm not going to say I blame you. But I'm also not going to blame you if you still listen to his music, if you still enjoy some of his music. I know I still enjoy some of his older songs. This isn't about that. This is about forcing a white man because they get away with a lot of shit, mostly everything. It's forcing a white man in the industry that feeds and makes money off of our culture, who has hurt women like Janet and Britney Spears in the past. It's about forcing him to take accountability and calling him out on, on his bullshit because this apology to me is bullshit. And I know anybody with common sense can see through all of this. It's very obvious that he is bothered by the backlash. It's not good for his image. He did just put out a movie. 
like I said a couple of weeks ago, he did tell Jimmy Fallon that he is working on an album right now. So of course he's trying to shift the narrative and paint a better picture of himself by saying, hey, look, I'm publicly apologizing to these women for hurting them so that you can look at me and say, hey, he's, a, he's growing as a person. He has evolved into a great man. He's apologizing for his past mistakes. And a lot of you guys in the comments were eating it up. And I'm just saying I see right through it. A lot of people see right through it. And I think it's worth noting that neither Britney or Janet publicly acknowledged his apology. Now, we don't know these people, so maybe in private, he reached out to them and, and they had a conversation, who knows. But publicly, and that's all I can talk about is what I see, neither of them have acknowledged his apology and I'm not surprised that they haven't. Because if I'm looking at his apology and saying, well, damn, this is like 20 years too late, I know that's how Janet and Britney feel because now the damage is done. Janet's career from that point on, had been ruined. Her image had been ruined. Britney's image had been ruined. So at this point, an apology on Instagram from a screenshot on your notes app is not gonna do shit. It's really not because your actions speak more than your words do. So to me, the apology could have been kept and the apology should have been given years ago, not now. But I see it for what it is, and I'm glad a lot of people see it for what it is too, and John to Austin and all Justin Timberlake's little buddies in the industry that were backing him, him up and giving excuse after excuse. No excuse that I saw that was given trumped what I, all of what I just said. Because what I said, all of what I just said still stands. Doesn't matter. So that's how I personally felt about Justin Timberlake's apology. Oh well. I am hoping that Britney is free from her father this year, and I said this on Twitter, I really do see 2021 being a great year for her in that way, where I think that because this, you gotta love documentaries, because documentaries shed a lot of light on stuff, and they really get some shit done. I mean, look at the Surviving R. Kelly docu docuseries. Like, documentaries, the great thing about them is they shed... They shed a light on some topics that have been brushed under the rug. And I feel like, like I said before, we've been seeing the Free Britney movement for years now. I've been seeing it for the past 10 years, but it feels different this time because now you have a documentary that has been viewed over and over by millions of people. And now people, more people who weren't paying attention are now paying attention. And it's really not looking great for her father because now Britney Spears' boyfriend and a few other people have now spoken out against him. So I really do seeing it it being a great year for Britney in the sense that she will finally be free of all of that. Netflix is also doing a Britney documentary as well. So it's kind of like, this is like the start of something more, I feel like. So that's why I feel really good about it. And I think any human being deserves to have their own free will. They deserve to be able to walk on the beach with their friends without fear of being grounded from their guardian as a grown woman with kids of her own. So I really do wish Britney Spears some peace. I do wish her free I do wish for her freedom. And that's really all I have to say about this topic. And I really just hope that all of this, these documentaries, people now starting to speak out against her father, I do hope it helps her case. So moving on from Britney, but still kind of talking about Netflix because they also announced a new biggie documentary called I Got a Story to Tell, which is supposed to drop on March 1st. And this documentary is about his life and career. I love Biggie, so I'll definitely be watching. It's probably gonna be composed of stories most of us have already heard before, um, but I think it's still worth watching because the trailer looked really good. Puffy, his mother, and Little Cease are involved in this documentary because they're in the trailer. 
Netflix has had a lot of interesting content dropping lately, and I feel like I'm so behind on so much. There's some stuff on Hulu I gotta watch, there's stuff on Netflix I gotta watch, on HBO Max, Disney Plus, like there's a lot I feel like I'm behind on. And I definitely feel like Netflix is really upping up their game because they're trying to keep up with HBO Max and Disney Plus and Hulu. Um, because there's there had been like a two-year stretch where Netflix was really lacking in content and Hulu and all these other streaming apps that were starting to form had a lot more interesting content. And I know Netflix has definitely lost a lot of subscribers too this competition so I am glad that they've been upping up their game because they definitely needed the push. Moving on Brooklyn Nine-Nine is ending next year after eight seasons and the last season will only be 10 episodes. I was kind of sad to read this because I got into Brooklyn Nine-Nine I think it was in 2019 when um, NBC had revived the show after it had been canceled at Fox and because there was a huge campaign to get the show renewed, I started seeing Brooklyn Nine-Nine everywhere. I started watching some clips of it online, thought it was hilarious, and decided to get into it. Shout out to my friend because she lent me her Hulu and I was able to binge watch the show from the beginning. And I think I spent like, that was like my summer show that I spent binge watching. There's usually one or two shows that I spend the summer binge watching when I can. And Brooklyn Nine-Nine was the show at the time. I just thought the comedian the comedic timing of all of the actors were incredible. The dynamic between the cast was incredible and the show was just really well written. So reading that it was ending after eight seasons was kind of sad because I really did enjoy the show, but also I feel like, I don't, I won't say that the show was dragging out. I definitely don't feel that way, but I think all good things must come to an end. And I feel like eight seasons of Brooklyn Nine-Nine was is well than is more than enough and I feel like they're ending it at a, a good spot where they're not dragging out the storylines too much I feel like the show has naturally kind of concluded and you know you see Jake and Amy they now have they're married they have a child now I feel like all of the characters are evolving and the storylines are starting to come to a close so even though it was sad to read that the show will be ending um, I definitely think they had a great run and I am glad that they're waiting until they're seemingly waiting until things are kind of normal again before they start shooting um, the show so hopefully the coronavirus is not a huge huge storyline in the show but I know that's a lot to hope for it's I think the only show I can think of that's kind of disregarding COVID is Grownish, like they're not addressing the storyline at all. Their characters don't wear masks at all. COVID hasn't been mentioned. So I kind of don't think Brooklyn Nine-Nine will ignore what, what's been going on with COVID, but it is a nice break watching shows like Grownish where it's not thrown in your face because we're living it right now. So TV should kind of be an escape from some stuff. And so I kind of hope that Brooklyn Nine-Nine, by the time it comes back, COVID has resolved and it's really just mentioned in an episode or two. Donald Glover announced that he was creating a Mr. and Mrs. Smith TV series. Now, I absolutely love Mr. and Mrs. Smith. It's one of my favorite movies. I don't know if you can consider it really a rom-com because there's a lot of action in the movie, but it is one of my favorites. I love Angelina Jolie. I love Brad Pitt. And so when I read that Donald Glover was kind of bringing it back for a series, I didn't know how to feel about it. First of all, I don't really feel like Donald Glover is a good fit as the lead role. I feel like when you're kind of taking over 
or not really taking over, when you're kind of stepping in the shoes of an actor like Brad Pitt or Angelina Jolie, it's going to be kind of hard to follow, especially because Mr. and Mrs. Smith is like a big deal in pop culture. Like a lot of people love this movie and I saw a lot of people kind of being on the fence about it. I feel like what made Mr. and Mrs. Smith work in the first place, or at least their version of it, because I did read that that the Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt version was like a remake. But what makes their remake work was the chemistry between them. I seen Donald Glover in a few things. Atlanta, I've heard is good. I've only watched a couple of episodes, so I, I couldn't really give a, get give you a real opinion about what I felt about the show. Um, I forgot the actress's name who was is going to be playing Mrs. Smith. I've never seen her work though. So I don't know how I feel about them kind of doing a TV show, I feel like if I was going to watch a Mr. and Mrs. Smith reboot for television, I'd really want Brad and Angelina to come back, but obviously that's not likely since they are getting a divorce. I doubt that they'll ever be acting together ever again, but I just, I don't want to watch it if Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt aren't involved, and since that's not the case, I don't know if I'm really going to give Mr. and Mrs. Smith this reboot a chance. I know Donald Glover is really, really talented. He's really skilled in this type of stuff, but I'm just, I'm not feeling it. Maybe I'll watch the trailer and my mind will change, but I highly doubt it. I'll stick to just watching the movie over and over again. So my sister and I finally sat down and watched Soul, and we both really, really loved it. First off, I love that it was an animated film that featured a mainly black cast because we don't see that very often in animation, especially from Pixar. I know a lot of people when the trailer for this movie first came out, because I believe it was supposed to come out last year, but you know, COVID seems like a common thing we're all saying these days. It was supposed to come out um, last year in theaters. And I know a lot of people were saying, you know, oh, Pixar finally did a black movie and the character the main character becomes a blue soul so it's kind of like they felt like oh we finally have a black movie a black animated movie and he's not even black the whole time he's uh I don't know what you want to call it he's like a blue soul because the movie's called soul I guess we can say it he's like a blue ghost and a lot of people felt like Pix that was a cheap way for Pixar to kind of get out of keeping the movie black if that makes sense like oh you know we don't know how people are going to react to watching a black animated pixar movie so let's make him blue let's make him a blue ghost for parts of the movie so they can kind of get a a break from that if they're kind of on the fence and i could see where some people were coming from but when you really watch the movie he's not not to spoil it but he's not a soul the whole time i think he spends a, a they did a good balance of having him as himself for a good chunks of the movie and then also having him as a soul i actually feel like he spent more time the character spent more time in his actual body than he was in in heaven or the other side as they like to call it i could see where some people were coming from but i don't think that's really the case for this movie because like i said they had a good balance I also love the message in the movie, which was about not being bound or feeling held down by our purpose in life. Sometimes trying to find our purpose in life or trying to fulfill our purpose can be tiresome and depressing, especially if you feel like you're failing at it and chasing empty dreams while life is passing you by. I think a lot of us can relate to this, so I love that this movie showed its audience that you don't just 
have one purpose in life and that your main purpose in life should be pure happiness and that you can love more than one thing because that's something that the the main character really struggled with in this movie was his whole life he really wanted to make it as a jazz musician and he finally got there and he felt empty and he spent his whole life chasing this one thing and realized that there was more to life than than just fulfilling his purpose as a jazz musician. I haven't seen an animated movie this well put together since the Spider-Verse or Into the Spider-Verse. It was really well done and watching these animated movies as an adult you really start to realize that these movies really do have messages in them for kids that were absorbing and growing up with that we don't realize is there. I'm pretty sure if I go back and I watch the old animated movies that I grew up on like The Lion King and um, Aladdin stuff like that there are messages in there that will re- that you can relate to or that you can kind of apply to your own life as you get older so it was really nice kind of having that moment of realization if you haven't seen Soul yet I definitely recommend watching it with your family I tried my best not to really go too deep into these movies as I give my reviews so that if you do want to watch the movie and you haven't yet you can kind of get an idea of what the movie's about without me really spoiling it for you but Soul was really really good and I definitely recommend watching it with your family or you could just watch it with yourself but it is a great family movie and I'm glad I got to watch it with my sister and I'm glad she has movies like Soul that she can grow up and watch Because, you know, for me, like, representation in TV got better as I became a teenager, but there wasn't really a whole lot of it as a kid. Not as much as I would have liked, but I'm glad that my sister gets to have this. For me, it was Proud Family. That was, like, the one black cartoon that, you know, was actually around that I watched as a kid. So I'm glad my sister now has better representation in these movies and stuff like that. Moving on from Soul, I wanted to talk about... The new movie, The Little Things, this is a movie I've been trying to sit down and watch for weeks. I finally had the time. This movie stars Denzel Washington, Jared Leto, and Rami Malek. I believe that's how you say his name. And the movie pretty much centers around a serial killer who is killing young women in California. Denzel and Rami both play detectives who are determined to figure out who the killer is and stop the killings, and Jared Leto's character is their main suspect. This movie got some negative reviews, but I don't think it was as bad of a movie as everyone kept saying it is. The ending just wasn't satisfying and was too open-ended, which I know a lot of people hate, including myself. I don't always love it. I love it when it's, um, what's the word? What's the words I'm looking for? I love open-ending movies when it feels like it's needed, if that makes sense. An open-ended movie or even a finale of a show, when it makes sense to have it, to leave it open, I can enjoy it. But when it doesn't make sense, I I hate it. And it usually doesn't make sense. I hate it when it's open-ended like that because I feel like there are just certain questions that films posed that the audience needs an answer to and this was one of those movies. I get that in life you don't always get the answers to everything but for the sake of this particular movie the audience needed one big question answered and the movie does not give you that at all not even an inkling like okay I can't say not even an inkling it gives you an idea but it it, it's not good enough it's not going to satisfy you. Denzel, Rami, and Jared Leto's performances were great though and Jared really transformed himself for this role. 
I'm gonna be honest, he did his damn thing because he left me feeling really unsettled, and I got chills every time he was on the screen. It probably also didn't help that I was watching this movie in the dark, but I love watching movies in the dark because it gives like this movie theater feel. I'm not surprised that Jared Leto was able to transform himself though because he he definitely gives me the impression that he is a method actor. I remember when he was doing Suicide Squad and he was the Joker, there were rumors I don't even know if I can say they were rumors. I think some of the cast may have actually confirmed it, that he like sent them dead rats. Like he really took on the persona of the Joker and it's very clear that for this role, he really took on this character. I mean, you can tell his face was really pale. His eyes were sunken in, his hair looked lifeless. Like he really took on the creepiness of this character and he did it really, really well. You can tell this film was definitely inspired by the movie Seven, not only in plot, but even in the direction too, like towards the end of the movie when they're in, I guess you can call it a dirt field, it's very reminiscent of the ending scene from Seven when they're kind of like in the middle of nowhere, like surrounded in dirt. So you can really tell that the writer and the director were heavily inspired by Seven, the plot's very similar as well. The writing and the directing were all good and the plot was very strong. The only knock I can really give this film is the ending. If you haven't seen this movie, definitely check it out. It's worth two hours of your time and if you're a Denzel Washington fan, you're gonna love this movie because he's as great as ever in it. So last week, Justin Bieber had a virtual concert on TikTok for his underrated, but it's a huge fan favorite, album journals. So if you don't know, back in 2013, Justin Bieber started this thing called Music Mondays where he released a new song every Monday and I think it lasted for about a year and then once he released all the songs, it came out as a compilation album. At the time, Def Jam wasn't really promoting or supporting this album because it was an R&B project and Justin Bieber was known and successful as a pop star and they didn't want to risk him doing R&B, they didn't feel like it was going to sell. Journals, to me, wasn't as appreciated outside of Justin Bieber's fans, but amongst his fans, this is this album is definitely a fan favorite, but at the time when the album came out, or when the songs were coming out, I should say, Justin Bieber was going through a lot in his personal life. We found out in his new documentary seasons that he was actually battling drug addiction, and so his manager, Scooter Braun, did not want him touring this album. He felt like he was not in a good place in his life. So Justin never performed or did a tour for this album. On his Purpose tour, he performed a couple of songs, but this this album never actually got its own tour. So when it was announced that he was doing a TikTok virtual concert, it was a big deal. A lot of people were excited and I watched it. Thankfully, like when the concert came on, I was actually home from work and... I, when it was announced, I was kind of like, I really love the album, so I was like, okay, it's cool that it's finally going to get some attention, and certain songs that he had never performed before were going to get performed, but I was like, okay, cool. Like, I, I wasn't super, super excited like some people were, because I'm like, okay, I know Justin Bieber has a new album coming out soon, so what's the purpose of performing for having a concert or, or whatever you want to call it for an album that's eight years old or almost eight years old? But I was like, I do love this album, so I'm going to check it out. I'm not doing anything else. You know, why not? And I ended up enjoying the concert way more than I thought I would because I'm not big on the whole virtual concert thing. I feel like it's just the same as watching someone's iPhone video of the concert that they went to. I've done that before. I've watched some live clips from 
people who have been to a Chris Brown concert or a Drake concert or Beyonce and they were able to film my favorite song and I found it on YouTube and I watched it. To me, it's just not the same as being in person. So I'm not super crazy about the whole virtual thing, but I really did enjoy uh, his TikTok concert for journals. I think He's been really, really, you can tell he's really been rehearsing, taking time to take care of his voice because he sounded really, really good during this concert. I know I'm not the only one who said so. In the past few years, Justin Bieber's live vocals have been kind of hit or miss, but lately they've been really, really strong, so you can tell he's taking care of his voice, and it really just, it did the trick because immediately after the concert ended, I went and like listened to journals twice that night, back to back. And I've been listening to it ever since. I really forgot how much I really loved this album. And I really think that after this next album that Justin Bieber puts out, I think it'd be really cool and a good idea for him to kind of do an album like this again, not in theme, because obviously he was in a bad place in his life when this album was written and recorded, but I mean in style, like releasing a new song every week or just creating a project like a mixtape of a bunch of different songs that can have different sounds and just putting it out because I feel like this is the time for Justin Bieber to kind of not only reintroduce himself but kind of find his sound as an adult I think he's gonna be 27 this year so he's a grown man he's married now he's obviously different than he was as at 18 so I think it's really important for him to kind of find himself again because after Purpose, he did take a five-year break. Music has changed and moved, and I feel like he doesn't really have his foot on what the sound is, so I think it'd be really important for him to kind of take a year off, play around in the studio, find his sound again, and put out a project that's full of different songs with different sounds and figure out which ones your fans like the most. But I really did enjoy Journals Live on TikTok for sure. So Normani teased the start of her debut album era last week by dropping a snippet of a new song that samples Aaliyah, and y'all know how frustrating it's been being a fan of Normani's with no new music in sight. I literally started off season two by talking about Normani needing to drop this year, no excuses, no bullshit, but the snippet sounds really good and I'm excited, but I'm also being extremely cautious until we actually get one, a lead single, into a release date for an album because motivation seemed like the lead in 2019 and we got nothing after that. So I'm excited, but I'm also trying to be realistic because Normani's been playing games, so I really do hope she's serious and ready to drop this year. I really hope her debut album is worth the wait, but if the snippet is anything to go by, I think her debut will be fine. I mean, I think her debut will be fire, and also I think it'll finally shut up a lot of her haters and naysayers once this album comes out, and it's as good as I think it's gonna be. Drake's So Far Gone mixtape celebrated 11 years last week, and on the same day he dropped So Far Gone, he dropped another mixtape, If You're Reading This, It's Too Late, which celebrated six years. As a Drake fan, I'm definitely among the minority who does not really care for If You're Reading This, It's Too Late. I felt like... It was half-assed. I felt like Drake was capable of better. And the music, to me, just seemed kind of empty. Now, I'm not going to lie. There are several songs off of this mixtape that I like. But it's not a mixtape I return to and listen from the top to the bottom. I think he's put out better bodies of work than If You're Reading This, It's Too Late. And for me, as an honest Drake fan, 
I feel like if you're reading this is too late was kind of the beginning of Drake getting too comfortable and kind of lazy with his music and I feel like his music hasn't really moved I, I can't say move the pedal because Drake still has immense impact I feel like his music hasn't changed since then. I feel like if you're reading this, it's too late kind of marked the start of his, of where he is today, where he's breaking the streaming records and he's the hottest thing and he's a pop star. That was the start of that. And I feel like it was also the start of a lot, well, a lot of the issues that people have with Drake's music today. So I definitely am not afraid to admit that if you're reading this, it's too late. It's probably one of my least favorite Drake projects but he does have some really, really good records on there. And I'll just be honest about that, but if I'm ranking Drake's albums and projects, if you're reading this is too late, it's probably gonna be near the bottom. So I just wanted to talk about this real quick, about how Spotify randomly lied about a surprise rap release last week. Like, for no reason at all, they got people, including myself, mad excited for a surprise rap release and nothing came of it. So Rap Caviar posted something on their Instagram page and the Spotify account commented and said, you know, I think it was um, Rap Caviar saying, oh, there's so much new music coming out. And then Spotify commented and said, oh yeah, and the surprise release tonight. So of course, Spotify, we think is a reliable source for this stuff. And they just randomly got people excited for no reason. There was not a single surprise release last week at all. I know some people were like, oh, the surprise release was Taylor Swift's re-recording of, of Love Story. That was not it because she had announced Love Story, I think, last Thursday. So that does not count as a surprise to me. A surprise is no one knows you're dropping and it just drops. Kind of like Eminem last year where nobody knew music to be murdered by was coming out and then boom on at midnight he announced he had an album so there was no surprise release Spotify just pissed me off with that because I was I know I shouldn't have been hoping but I was kind of hoping it was going to be Drake because some people had theories that certified lover boy would come around come out around Valentine's Day weekend you know with the album title being called certified lover boy you think he'd kind of try to stick by that theme he didn't Drake also didn't help his case because he started posting like I don't know what the word is for it is called, but he started posting like owls on his Instagram story. Like he was trying trying to be mysterious and vague. So a lot of people felt like, oh, well, he just randomly posted an owl. So that means he may be coming, but nothing came of that. I honestly don't, I honestly believe when academics said the latest that Drake was trying to drop was April. I took that for being Drake is dropping in April. And that's that. I also wanted to say rest in peace to Whitney Houston. February 11th marked nine years, I believe, since her passing. You know, sometimes I'm still kind of in shock, you know, by how she passed and, and still saddened by how she passed because she was such a great talent. And I feel like she had more to do with her art and her voice. Um, so it's unfortunate that she passed. But her legacy, her art, will live on. Whitney Houston will remain timeless. People in the year 3000 will still be listening and enjoying her music. And as sad as it is when our favorite artists pass away, the one tiny comfort that we can always take is that the music will be around forever. So I finally wanted to get into the new releases from last Friday and there was a lot of them for once. And as a huge music lover, I was super excited. One of the things I always look forward to in the new year is getting new music from my favorite artists and kind of having theories about who's going to drop, who may not drop. 
So I was excited when I was looking at the lineup for last week because I'm like, finally, there's a lot of music to talk about. So I wanted to start off with Pink Sweats. He released his new album, Pink Planet, last week, and I really, really enjoyed it. I don't know if this counts as his debut album because I am not super familiar with Pink Sweats. I've heard a couple of songs here and there from him prior to this album. To me, it, it sounded like an album. I just don't know if it's his debut, but it doesn't matter. But if it is his debut album, it was definitely a really, really good impression because I really enjoyed this album. And it may be able to get me through the slowness of the first quarter because there haven't been a lot of albums that have dropped so far this year. It's really been, uh, and, and this is usually the case for the first quarter. It's usually just, a, it's been a lot of singles. So I think Zane, out of the artists that I really listen to, Zane has dropped his album and that was really it. So this album is good enough that it may get me through the first quarter, especially because Lucky Day's new EP isn't really doing it for me, but we're going to get into Lucky Day a little bit later. This album is filled with soulful and smooth beats, and of course, DeMille produced quite a few songs on this album. And of course, the beats that he did produce were some of the best beats on this album. I don't care if my bias is showing, facts are facts. Pink Planet is definitely an appropriate title for this album because this album had such a smooth and kind of fluffy, lighthearted vibe to it. It's what I'd imagine the color pink would sound like. Pink Sweats has such a beautiful voice too and the production really complemented his soft but strong vocals. He also has a great falsetto which is something you have to have if you're an R&B singer as far as I'm concerned. I could do without some of the radio pop records but I did enjoy some of them. Shout out to my girl Tiffany because she had listened to this album before I got the chance to hear it. And so she, I think she had posted like a, on Instagram, you know, you can do like 30 second or 15 second snippets of like a song. And she had posted a screenshot of one of the songs that she was listening to. I believe it was Magic. And I really, really liked it. And I was like, I'm excited to listen to this album. And she kind of warmed me about the radio pop records on the album because we have similar tastes in music. And like I said, I didn't mind some of the songs, but some of them just weren't needed for the album. You can tell that they were placed on the album for the sole reason of, you know, putting them out as a single and, and getting on the radio. But I'm not going to fully knock it because some of them actually were good. I think he created a well-balanced album with this because he gave you the smooth R&B sound that I think he's kind of known for. And he also kind of skated outside the box a little bit and gave you some pop and gave you some more upbeat stuff. And it's like, he did a good job of not going too far into the pop sound. He had a good mix. My top four songs on this album, at least at this time, because it could change, is So Sweet, Not Alright, Icy, and Pink Family. I also really love Seventeen and the At My Worst remix, but I already covered those songs, so I'm not going to really get into them again. So I'm going to start off by talking about So Sweet. I took to the song almost right away. What I love the most about this song is the production, of course. I'm a production junkie. That's the first thing I usually notice. It's reminiscent of Lauren Hill and India Ari. It's just distinctly neo-soul. If you heard this song, you definitely make that connection as well. Despite this, though, So Sweet still sounds modern. And the producers and writers on this song and throughout most of this album managed to do this without relying on a 90s sample. So see, it's possible that you can create music that gives you that feeling 
of 2000s music and, and music from the 90s and 80s, but it still sounds current, it still sounds fresh, it doesn't sound like you're ripping off from other art. My favorite lines on So Sweet are, quote, you like it when I call you baby, I like it when you say it's mine. I know just how to get you wild and crazy. You know just how to free my mind. And really, I only like this line because I like his cadence when he sings this part. So there's like certain parts I like to call it ear candy. I didn't create the term. It's a, a term I have seen time and time again, and it's a term that I use as well, where an artist sometimes will say things in a certain way, their cadence sounds really nice to me or, or I'm vibing with it and it'll make a line a particular line stick out to me and that was the case here the next song I want to talk about is not all right I can personally relate to the message in this song which is probably why it's one of my favorites off of the album it's pretty much about the pressures in his life getting to be too much and struggling to handle it the way it's written is almost poetic, and I love that the beat kind of contradicts what he's saying. Instead of being somber and sad, the production is very upbeat, but the wailing of the guitar clues you into the deeper meaning of the lyrics. My favorite lines off of this song is, quote, I'm not alright. Fighting a war that I'm gonna lose. I'm not alright. I can't do what they say I'm supposed to. And, quote, Please don't beat my soul, because that's the only thing I treasure. I think if you struggle with anxiety, like I do, you can really probably relate to this song, even though his is more so about struggling with the pressures of fame. I think anybody who struggles with anxiety can can relate to this feeling of intense pressure that you don't know what to do with. And sometimes you struggle with handling it. And sometimes you just, when people ask you how you're doing, you just say, look, I'm not all right today. It's a rough day and, and I'm trying to get through it. So that's the main reason I think that I really, really like this song. I, I, Of course, I love songs with a message, and this, to me, was one of the songs on the album that had a deeper message, if you looked for it. The next song I wanted to talk about is Icy. I personally loved how braggadocious this track is and how high energy it is as well. It makes me want to dance. The moment I heard it, I instantly thought of Bruno Mars because this sounded like the music he was making on his 24K Magic album, and if Pink Sweats ever did a remix to this, he should definitely tap Bruno for this because he'd kill it. So Pink Sweats, I'm going to tag you when I drop this episode. If you haven't dropped the remix to Icy yet, I don't think you have. If you haven't, definitely try to get Bruno Mars on the remix. It would go crazy, I promise you. Either way, Pink Sweats slides all over this track with ease. I absolutely love it and it's a nice break from the slow tempos of the other tracks on this album. My favorite lines from Icy are, quote, I'm just too cold, Icy. From my head to toe, they like me. And, quote, smooth like a finger wave. Wash me with that tide, I can never fade. Just because I thought that the line was really clever. And it was just smooth as fuck, simple as that. Another song that really stuck out to me on this album is Pink Family. This song is just a feel-good celebratory record and I just wish he made this the last song on the album because it's a strong finisher and it just makes sense to me to put it there. My favorite lines on here are, quote, don't hide your light, let it show. Just because I think that it's like a really uplifting line and I just personally love uplifting songs. I think the best time sometimes to listen to songs like that is kind of when you're feeling down because it's a way to pick yourself back up. I didn't know much about Pink Sweats prior to this album, like I said before, and I had only heard a couple of songs by him in the past, 
but I really enjoyed this album and wouldn't mind listening to any future albums or projects he has planned. He definitely found a new fan in me. Moving on, I wanted to talk about Lucky Day's new EP, Table for Two. I'm gonna be honest, I'm not overly crazy about this Table for Two EP. I get where he was trying to go with the theme on this project and having it center around love and failing relationships and having a female artist feature on each track, so he was pretty much duetting with all of these women on this EP. But I just didn't feel any of the music. The songs weren't bad, they're just nothing special to me, they're kind of forgettable. The production and Lucky's vocals are good, even great, but the songs to me sound like leftover records that he just didn't know what to do with and it kind of just seems like he came up with this idea last minute. My top three off of this EP are My Window, Dream, and Falling in Love, so I'm going to get into each of those tracks. So I'm going to start off with My Window. This is a pretty piano-driven duet between Lucky Day and Mahalia. Mahalia has these really angelic vocals that are perfect for songs like this, so she was a perfect choice for this record, and it's probably why I love it so much. I also love that this song samples I Can't Stand the Rain by Anne Peebles. This was a sample that I first heard in Missy Elliott's song The Rain. It's one of my favorite Missy records. My Window stands out to me mainly because both Lucky and Mahalia sound great together. I'd definitely be here for them making more songs together in the future. My favorite lines off of My Window are, quote, If you can't stand the rain, then I can't stand the sunshine. If you can't take the pain, then I can't make your sunrise. Next, I want to talk about Dream. This is actually a song originally off of Queen Nasia's. I believe that's how you say her name. It's off of her album originally, but Lucky put it on this EP too, and it, it fits, so I'm not going to knock him for it. Despite the fact that I really don't care for Queen Nasia, this is a great song and one of the better songs off of Table for Two, in my opinion. It's just simply a good R&B track, and it reminds me of those dope R&B duets that were more common back in the early 2000s, like songs like My Boo with Usher and Alicia Keys. They both fed off each other's energies really well. I also love the strings that are included in the production. They're not always there, but when they show up, it sounds heavenly. My favorite lines are, quote, And if I'm dreaming, let me sleep. I don't want your love to leave. I don't want to fall too far. Just ride this high that you keep giving me. No, I don't want to wake up. It's just a really sweet record. It's like, I think it's one of the two love songs off of this EP. It's just, I'm going to say that Lucky Day and Queen Asia, they really did their thing with this, with the writing on this track. It's really a beautiful record. It's definitely fitting for Valentine's Day. The final song I wanted to talk about is called Falling in Love. Another good song with a great beat produced by DeMille. DeMille produced all of Lucky Day's Painted album. Seriously, the beat on Falling in Love is crazy good, and there's just something about it that's addicting that makes me return to it constantly. This song overall is just a vibe. Even though I wasn't crazy about this EP, because it's just an EP, I'm not holding it against Lucky. Whenever he does drop a new album, though, I hope the music is a lot stronger than the music was on Table for Two. I hope that he's not planning to put any of the songs from this EP on his album, because none of them are really good enough to really make an album. I don't want to hear them on another project from him. Moving on from Lucky, Seven Streeter released a new song with Chris Brown and ASAP Ferg called Guilty, which heavily relies on James Brown's song, The Payback, which you may recognize from Total's and Biggie's song, Can't You See. 
Now you know how I feel about producers and artists heavily relying on a sample to carry the song. I literally just said this not that long ago. And though it's clear that James Brown's sample does carry this track, it's just so good that I can let it slide. Seven and Crystal have incredible chemistry, and I'd still want a collab project with just the two of them. I don't know why this hasn't happened yet, but it needs to. Chris's vocals sound smooth as fuck, as usual. ASAP Ferg's verse definitely could have been kept off of this record, though. He kind of ruins the vibe. There are other rappers that could have fit this song a lot better. Maybe Big Sean. I, I know you're all like, oh my gosh, she always finds a way to bring up Big Sean. But, but seriously, I think he he floats on records like this. So I think he would have been a good choice. I would have even taken YG over ASAP Ferg. Just, he just didn't fit the vibe of this record. My favorite lines on this song are, quote, you gonna get me caught up, love drunk, fucked up, over you, but we don't feel guilty the more that we keep sneaking, creeping, leaving hotel rooms. Speaking of Chris Brown, though, he's just been on a crazy feature run. Clever also dropped a new song with him called Rolls Royce Umbrella. And I gotta say, this is a better impression of Clever than when I first heard him on Justin Bieber's album Changes. Both Clever and Chris Brown have similar tones on the song, and they both just go crazy. They harmonize really well together, and I hope they work together more in the future. I also think the beat goes nuts. I don't remember who produced this record, but they did a, a great job with it. My favorite lines off of this song is, quote, Shooting stars in the roof of the wraith. Praying to the sky, I'm, pray I'm paying for my mistake. They saw me in the hearse like I would die young. And really, I think I, I like these lines on this part of the song because like I said Clever's tone is just really really crazy it's so it's so so good I'm telling you what he did on the song forever with Justin Bieber like that was nothing compared to what he clearly can do because his vocals are really really good just really good if you haven't heard the song definitely check it out it's a dope track g Easy released another new single and this track is way better than Provide I know I killed that song last week this new song is called A Little More and features my girl, Kiana Lede. Kiana being a feature and the stereotypes production really elevate and make the song dope. It's a cute little love song and the beat is just so sweet and addicting to me. Like, I'm telling you, everything that the stereotypes touch is gold. Their production is just so refreshing because they're able to create really great R&B beats with lots of swing and it's all original. I just love them. Shout out to them because they showed me love last year on one of my posts. I think I think it was Russ's song, I Love Me, and they produced it and I praised the record and I posted about it on my Instagram and they shared it onto their Instagram story. So shout out to the stereotypes. Moving on. Jay-Z and Nipsey have a new collaboration. It's called What It Feels Like, and apparently Nipsey's verse is from an unfinished record from 2013. I really like this song, Simple and Plain. I wasn't sure how I was going to feel about it because, you know, when Jay-Z's attached to anything, it gets overhyped. My dad and I always have this conversation um, just because Jay-Z's just one of those artists with a really extremely loyal fan base where anything he touches they think is gold. So I was already starting to get a little annoyed by the by the hype of it because I'm like, S most of y'all haven't even heard this record yet and you're acting like it's like the gold standard, but it really is a good track. Jay-Z was on his usual conscious talk, which is something he's been doing since 444, and Nipsey gives what he usually does on tracks, you know, his perspective of growing up in the neighborhood that he grew up in and, and kind of, you know, 
surpassing that mentality and, and becoming successful in other things and bringing himself out of the hood. I really, really love Jay-Z's verse. Both verses were good, but Jay stuck out to me the most because of his lines about the riots at the Capitol. It just got me excited for a new Jay album, which is the beauty of artists hardly ever doing features because when they finally do do some features, you want new music from them. And Jay also doesn't put out albums as much as he was back during his run and his prime where he was dropping an album every year like a lot of these rappers do today. Now it's kind of, you'll be lucky if you get one every five, you'll be lucky if you get one every five years from him. But I'm definitely, if Jay had an, if Jay announces that he's going to drop a new album this year, I'd definitely be excited for it. I personally think this song is good enough to be an album cut, and if Jay-Z does plan on putting out an album this year or maybe next year, I wouldn't be mad at him if he put this song on there. My favorite lines are, quote, IRS on my dick, try to audit all my checks, too late. You know they hate when you become more than they expect. You let them crackers storm your capital, put their feet up on your desk. And yet you talking tough to me? I lost all my little respect. And this stuck out to me. Obviously, he's talking about the Capitol riots because he said pretty much everything that I had been saying about the situation since it happened and pretty much everything that black people were saying. You know, when it comes to black people, they and when I say they, I mean, you know, white people, they hate when we're super successful because they tried with all of their might to break us down and make us feel like we weren't worth anything. So when were successful, it bothers them. And they try their best to drag us down continuously. And it's like, there's obviously a double standard here where white people can get away with shit like this. I mean, you saw what happened with Trump where he, you know, he got off on these charges. He wasn't convicted. You know, there's a lot that white people can get away with that black people can't even, we can't even think of doing it because our punishment is going to be a lot harsher. So I really, really felt Jay-Z's verse and these lines in particular because he was speaking facts and he was saying everything that we've been saying since the dawn of time, I feel like. Moving on from Jay-Z and Nipsey, Pink's new song with her daughter was really heartwarming and cute. I know that was like completely different from what song I was just talking about. Their new song is called Cover Me in Sunshine, I believe. And like I said, it's just a really heartwarming and cute song. I really love when um, artists who have kids that are passionate about music, that have great voices, and they love to sing or rap. I just really love seeing parents collaborate with their children like this. And Willow, which is her daughter's name, she has a really, really good voice. And I wouldn't be surprised if she starts her own music career in the future and what better way to start off by doing than by doing a song with her own mom so this record was really really cute and i definitely saved it so before the episode ends like always you know i have to get into the song of the week and the song of the week is damaged by her this has got to be hers best record so far and i know her album is gonna sound crazy i know it's gonna be so good it's just a matter of waiting for her to finally drop it. I feel like she's dropping all these standalone songs, but there's no album in sight, and I really want her to drop it this year because all, she has not missed with a single song that she's released. So I can't wait. I love everything about Damage. It's well-written, her sounds angelic, Aunt Clemens' background vocals sound heavenly with her voice, and the sample used, which is Herb Alpert's Singing in the Rain, really gives the song its special factor. 
If you haven't heard this song yet and you're looking for a quality R&B track, Damage is definitely that. I've been rerunning it like crazy. Technically, I haven't stopped playing it since it came out, but lately I've been playing it like crazy, so I definitely had to make it the song of the week. I know that her's a huge fan of Janet Jackson, Janet's a huge fan of her, so I really think it would be incredible for her to secure a Janet Jackson feature on her album. Janet doesn't do features that often, but because Janet loves Her's music, I really feel like it could happen. So I really hope that they make this happen and that she can get a Janet feature on this album because I think a song between them would just make all of my dreams come true. So we have reached the end of this episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you guys have been enjoying the season so far. I feel like I've definitely been upping my game lately with these podcast episodes. If you enjoy this podcast as much as I enjoy creating these episodes, then please donate to my listener donations. You can find it on my website, www.listentomespeak.com or on my anchor page. If you want to keep up with me on social media, I'm on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook. I'm on it all. So again, head to my website, www.listentomespeak.com, and it'll give you a link directly to my social media. And like I say every week, be kind to yourselves, and thank you for listening to me speak.